Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Motormouth Podcast. This week, we sat down with Jake Dennis, um, the season nine uh, Formula E world champion, no less. Um, we spoke to him about his championship winning year, um, looking ahead to season 10, um, all the races that that entails, what his aspirations are for uh, the upcoming season, what he thinks he can achieve. Can he become a world champion all over again? Um, he feels less pressure coming into season 10, which is interesting. I kind of felt like, you know, you've got a lot to live up to. It's going to be more pressure. But for him, he felt like the pressure was off. He's got his championship under his belt and he can strut into the paddock knowing he's the world champion um, with the pressure off his shoulders. Um, really, really fun chatting with Jake. Thanks so much to him and his team for giving us the time. Really hope you enjoy this one. And I was joined by Tom McCluskey, co-hosting Tom OF1. Great to have Tom back on the show. Um, but with no further ado, let's get on with it. Here we are. This is our interview with Formula E world champion, Jake Dennis. So Jake, your stats in Formula E are pretty incredible, mate. We've got not just Formula E, by the way, as well. 28 wins, 85 podiums, 26 poles, 26 fastest laps, and a podium percentage of 29.3% which is not bad, right? Did you know these stats? Um, you've got to be pretty happy with your body work so far. And I did remember that all the... I definitely don't have that noted down, Jake. Yeah, I can Straight see that. Straight off the dome. <laughs> um, yeah, obviously the, the stats so far have been pretty good in Formula E. Um, it's, yeah, it's like a love affair in Formula E. Sometimes you do really well, sometimes you do really bad. And my first season, even though it ended quite well, the start was pretty rough. Um, but then, nevertheless, it sort of yeah, snowballed from there. And then it's been, yeah, fairy tale this year, you know, uh, incredible season. And, uh, yeah, just been enjoying it as much as possibly can while we've got, yeah, such a good powertrain, you know, you're only as good as your equipment. So when you've got, yeah, a good donkey behind you, you generally try and go with it as long as you can. And uh, so, yeah, looking forward to this year uh, or next season coming up um, because, yeah, we should be competitive again. Now, before we come on to um, being world champ and looking ahead to next year, where did this passion for racing come from originally? Was it in the family? What what got you into it? Yeah, it was in the family a little bit. You know, my dad uh, used to race uh, before I did, nothing competitive or anything like that. Uh, he was just working like a normal night to five job. And then just at the weekends, we'd go watch him race uh, terribly. And then uh, <laughs> just when I started, when I was eight, uh, I gave it a crack. Um, I've got an older sister as well, and we used to go together. And I used to, uh, I used to hate it. I used to hate the competitive side of it. Uh, I didn't enjoy yeah, the speed or anything like that, even though we weren't even going fast. And then, um, so I was like, no, I don't want to do that. I park it and just continue playing football. Uh, and then I gave it another crack when I was nine, and then just yeah, sort of fell in love with it. And uh, it sort of yeah, just progressed from there. But. Yeah, it wasn't just initially just jump in and think this is the thing for me. It was definitely a bit more of a, a grind uh, at the start. Uh, and then yeah, when I was nine, it was then like, yeah, okay, this is this is enjoyable. But I didn't really know what motorsport was. Like, all I ever knew was just watching my dad. Uh, I didn't grow up watching Formula One on TV. I didn't know what Formula One was really at nine years old. Uh, I didn't know who Michael Schumacher was. I didn't know who Ed Senna was. So it wasn't like, I want to be these guys from the age of birth. Like, it wasn't like that at all. So... For me, it was just such a small little family bit of fun on the weekends. And then it sort of progressed more and more as I got a bit better and then turned serious when I was 12 and I got sponsored. When uh, you mentioned football there, so that was obviously a bit of a passion when you were younger. I've got to ask, who do you follow? Uh, I'm originally a Leicester boy. Oh. So uh, I'm originally from Leicester. 
I wasn't so much of a football hooligan um, when we won the league. And I was, <laughs> I was living in Leicester at the time and I was, all my mates were going absolutely mental when we won it. And I was like, why is the city going absolutely crazy? And then as I started learning a bit more about football and started getting into it, I was like, how on earth did Leicester win the Premier League? Yeah. Like, no wonder we all went absolutely crazy. Um, so, yeah, I'm still not massively into it. I enjoy more of the players, to be honest, like the... Yeah, like Jack Grealish or Foden, um, like Madders and stuff like that. I enjoy watching them. But Leicester, obviously, we're out of the league at the moment, but hopefully we'll come back up. Interesting. Did you think, like, obviously, as a sports person yourself, is that, I, I guess it must be, you look at a football player, or, or any sports person for that matter, and there's a degree of a somewhat understanding because you're both kind of at the top of your games relative to me and Tim, who are simpletons. With uh, I mean, <laughs> I maybe we're an equivalent in the podcast-based. Fair um, comment. <laughs> maybe. Um, yeah, the biggest thing is just like their personalities. I feel like Grealish, Foden and Madders, like they still enjoy their outside life. Uh, and then you get some players which are so like by the book and you get that in motorsport uh, really badly as well. Probably worse, to be honest, because you're not showered in limelight. Um, whereas someone like yeah, Grealish still has a lot of fun. And I generally always try and enjoy my motorsport as much as I possibly can uh, so it's like a combination I see myself in them um, and just yeah enjoying what they do they're obviously good at it and um, yeah enjoy watching them play football but yeah I'm not one for being completely like strict the whole time it's mentally and yeah physically draining like I just deteriorate rapidly if I'm like by the book every second of the day. I think one thing that the football players are starting to get quite good at is um, is the post-match interviews. They, they feel less scripted and less media trained now. Like people like you mentioned, like Grealish and others, even Harlan, they, they seem like they actually say what they feel. It, it's, I think motorsport is probably still guilty of, of having a very sort of media trained way, especially in Formula One. Some of the drivers don't always say what they're feeling. What what are you like in front of a camera? Do you do you tend to just wear your heart on your sleeve or or is there an element of, you know, not hiding things necessarily, but watching yeah. what you say? I mean I've got in trouble a fair few times this year with my media team, so I would very much say I wear my heart on my sleeve and say what I'm say what I'm feeling. Um but I mean I'm not going to change for anyone. Like it's it's who I am and I <laughs> If there's a certain situation, then yeah, sure, I'll probably force myself to say something for the correct time if it's that serious. But if there's little things here and there, like, yeah, sure enough, I'm just going to mention what I feel like is right. And um, yeah, it's, it is what it is. Like, no one's, it's your personality what comes across at the end of the day. And I think even though it got me in a bit of trouble with the team, the, the outside public were like, of course, it's just competition and uh, that, that's bound to happen. So mm. yeah. I don't have no regrets over it. And, and there's, there's so many angles and, and perspectives and eyeballs on on you as, uh, as Formula E champion. It's like, if, if you were to kind of try and cultivate this brand-friendly image, like that would just be exhausting to sustain, surely. you just like, If you just be yourself, then you can just crack on every day and you don't have to think about, oh, I've got to be Jake Dennis for the cameras today. Like That would just be crazy, right? Exactly, yeah. You just... Yeah, you've just got to have a balance, you know, and I think you've got to pick your battles with your team, you know, they they understand me more and more now that they can't just shove me in front of a camera, like, day in, day out, and expect me to say the same thing over and over again, so I think they understand me better over the past three years of how I am as a person, and I'll definitely respect them in certain situations that 
yeah, I'll pick my battles like this. I don't want to do that. I'll do. And um, yeah, it's it's just part of it. And I think Formula One football, like, you know, these real big sports is a lot more tedious and probably a lot and definitely a lot worse than what I have it. Um, that's one of the things I love about Formula E. I love like the side of the professionalism, the, the competitiveness, how professional it is uh but then also just the side that you still have a bit of a life uh very much so like you finish uh 27th of july so you've got august september october really uh out in the sun somewhere whereas formula one uh you know it's pretty intense you're very much away from home the whole time um and it's not always glamorous what everyone thinks it is um in terms of formula e formula one like all this travel it's it is intense and the, the locations aren't always amazing um, but it's part of the job you're there to do a job and you enjoy the part when you're actually sat in the car driving the track uh, whereas everything else can be a little bit repetitive uh, you know no one enjoys catching a 17 hour flight uh, to location so um, yeah it's part of the game um, but definitely not always as glamorous what everyone thinks it is now you were in um, GT racing and remained in GT racing for a number of years. Um, things like Bathurst 12 Hours, DTM, Blancpain, LMS, and LMP2, and so on. How and why did the switch to Formula E come about? Tell us about that. Oh, it was it was a strange one, but it's quite a good story. Um, so yeah, I was racing with Aston Martin at the time for GTs. I was racing with Audi before that, but my sort of professional career really started when I joined Aston Martin, and then. Um, I used to race for a team called Arda Motorsport in 2016 who had an employee then working at BMW in 2021 and he messaged sort of not my manager but just a really good friend of mine and was like there's an opportunity coming about uh, that Alexander Sims is leaving BMW says I put your name forward and see what comes from it and I didn't think anything of it at that time and it was COVID and so it was 2020 by this point I wasn't even racing I was sort of just sat on the sidelines and twiddling my thumbs, really. I got hit pretty hard with it because my team just stopped entirely. Um, so I was like, okay, I'm not exactly going to go from a couch to a Formula E drive in the space of like two months. But ended up happening. Um, so, yeah, my friend uh, messaged, well, yeah, one of my friends said there's an opening. We had a simulator day come from it. Uh, and I'm pretty good on simulators, to be fair. Like, it's one of my knacks. I'm quite good at it. I do it for Red Bull uh, for the past, like, five years now. And there's definitely an art to it. Some people are very bad on simulators, but very good in real life and vice versa. You know, these sim pros, which now get paid for it, are mind-blowingly fast. But to put them in a real car, it's very different. But I managed to get a pretty good balance. I did the sim and, yeah, sort of smashed that and did well. So then we're like, right, okay, we'll give you a one-day test in Vallelonga or somewhere, or wherever it was, Verano. And I was up against Max Gunther, who was their number one driver. Uh, he drove the first day, I drove the second, and yeah, did very well. Um, was competitive straight away, clicked with the team. Uh, there was a few English guys, which I knew there, so the relationship was already quite good. And then went away. But obviously, at this point, DTM had just finished, so they had six DTM drivers also trying to get this seat. And they were all BMW drivers. So they had six BMW drivers who they had to fill a contract for. And then one Aston Martin guy just on, out in the plume of smoke. Just like, who's this guy? And uh, I was like, I've got no chance politically. Like, this is never going to work. Um, and then there was a guy called Mike Crack who was like the boss. And 
he said, we're not going to put you in for the final test. We're going to put Sheldon van der Linde in. And that was the final test before Valencia, like pre-season. And I was like, that's it then. Like, I did a good job, uh, but it just politically didn't quite work out. I was like, yeah, fair. And then about two weeks before Valencia pre-season, they were like, yeah, you're, you're going to be driving us for next season. You're going to get the seat. So I was like, wow, like, didn't expect that at all. Um, full credit to Mike Crack, who went completely like away from probably what he should have done and put just one of the ETM drivers in who could have done easily like a good job. But yeah, he sort of bit the bullet with it and yeah, put me in. So yeah, left Aston Martin, joined BMW with Formula E and yeah, sort of never looked back. But it was, yeah, treading on a few people's toes for sure. Especially like the guys I'm friends with now, you know, I'm friends with all these BMW guys, so I still race with them now. So it's, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I definitely stole their seat and um, yeah, it's part of it, I guess. It's, self, it's part of the game. Got to look after yourself, aren't you? Um, look, <laughs> when, you, when you first jumped into that Formula E car, um, what was that experience like? Because, you know, the electric powertrain, the, I guess, kind of lack of aero, but then maybe more aero relative to the GTs you've been in. Like, what was the most similar racing experience you'd had or driving experience you'd had before that? Or was this, that a completely kind of foreign racing experience that you had to adapt to really quickly? Yeah, honestly, completely foreign. I'd never experienced anything like it before. The biggest thing when I first jumped in, as I thought, I thought I forgot to put my earplugs in because all I could hear was noise, like uh, like wind noise. Uh, and you don't hear the engine. Uh, and you just hear like your head out the window on the motorway. That's what generally Formula E sounds like when you're driving. Uh, yeah, and just the how smooth it is. Like in general motorsport in your career, you'll you're driving kartings which rattle and bounce around everywhere. Then you move into Formula 4, Formula 3, and all you hear is the engine, the gearbox. And then you move into Formula E, and it's like silent as a whistle. There's no vibrations. And all you can hear is the curbs and like the tyre lockup. So it's very peculiar sound and something... And you lose, and you, you lose a lot of clues of like how the car's behaving and stuff like that. So you have to generate new ones. So um, that was really the biggest thing, was the sound. Um, and then just the way you hit the brake pedal is very different in Formula E uh, compared to any sort of junior category you grow up doing. But uh, that's just technique and, and repetitiveness and you'll get better at it. And something with what I struggled with at the start of my Formula E career. Um, but yeah, it's, it's very different. But now when I jump into something else, like that feels different to me. And then jumping back into Formula E feels like home. So... Um, yeah, it's. I still do my GT stuff with BMW now. I can still link with them, so I can still swap between the two. It just takes a bit of time. Uh, it takes like a run or two, and then you're sort of back into it. Do you uh, do you drive an EV at home? I do not. Oh, Jake, <laughs> I got an M3 parked out in the drive. Thanks oh, that's fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's one of the perks they give you a new car every six months. Oh. So uh, I've just moved out of London though, and I'm getting a. Um, an X3M delivered, I'm turning into a bit more of a dad and just, I've not got a kid, but I'm turning more into like a dad, bigger car and more yeah. comfortable. And uh, it's, it's your yeah. age, mate. I mean, you know, yes, you're, knocking, yes, you're knocking on 30. It's time, I mean, time to get a bigger car. Empty. Yeah, prepare for the uh, impending babies. It's all going to come very quickly. <laughs> That's the last thing I need right now. <laughs> um, now, you, you've you've won the championship in your third year, right, in, in Formula E. Season 8 mm-hmm. wasn't exactly a bad year for you. You had a win, four yeah. podiums, 126 points, finished sixth in the standings. Heading into Season 9, what were your expectations? Did you realistically think, I'm going to be world champion this year? Uh, no, not at all. So, 
we obviously signed with Porsche uh, as uh, with Andretti, so the partnership was created. And you know, no one really knew anything about these Formula E cars. Obviously, it was Gen Three, so it was new for everyone. Uh, I just did one day testing, uh, and it went all right. But you know, you have no reference; you're just driving round against yourself uh, and the clock. But it felt okay. And then we went to the Valencia pre-season testing, and uh, well, we got blown out of the water by literally everyone apart from like one team. And we were like <laughs> literally a second off the pace every single lap, every single run. And I was like, it's going to be one of those like, it's going to be one of those years. It's going to be the, the next like, and even like next year, I was thinking like, you can't change anything to the car. So I was like, 2024 is already going to be bad. So I was like, well, there's nothing I'm doing now. I'm contracted. It is what it is. We'll try and make the best of it. Did three days of driving around in like P18 for the whole, the, the, like all, all of us, me, DaCosta, uh, Lottero and Pascal. And then... I was like, right, I'm going skiing. And I never ski because I'm just like, it's too high risk. Like, and I was like, well, if I break a leg, break a wrist, like, I'm not going to miss any points. So I'm off skiing. Um, had like, yeah, an amazing sort of New Year's trip in, uh, where did I go? Somewhere in France. Uh, and then I was like, right, let's just, let's just get Mexico out of the way and just it's it with, and see how we get on. And then we ended up qualifying second and winning the race by eight seconds. It was like, what the hell? What's just happened here? Like it was, and we hadn't even changed that much. Like we changed a bit of things with the software, but uh, it wasn't like we reinvented the wheel in the space of like three weeks. Um, so it was just like, how on earth has this happened? Then we went to Saudi and finished second twice and Pascal won. And it was like, we've literally got the best powertrain on the grid by miles. Uh, and then obviously Jaguar started to catch up, but it was such a bizarre start to the season after how Valencia went and I was yeah obviously relishing in it massively and scoring good points um but yeah honestly after through Christmas and New Year I was like well it's one of those next couple of years we'll just drive around at the back and try and collect some points here and there how um do you do you still not have a explanation as to where pre-season testing was no was so terrible honestly, we have no idea so we have weird. no idea like we, like when we were driving the the track in that test, like the car did feel bad. Like we were having really bad issues with braking, and like it felt like we were one second off. Um, but then it's not like we changed all that much going into Mexico, and then all of a sudden, like our issues were sort of definitely reduced. They were still there, but I guess everyone else had their own issues, and um, yeah, just sort of yeah evolved into our sort of yeah favor and uh but honestly i think anyone who said like oh it was this what fixed it it's like no like i i don't i don't believe that there's so many other things which were evolving throughout the year which was a natural progression of everyone but yeah honestly i've never seen a turnaround like it it was going from literally the back to the very front by quite a way yeah it's bizarre isn't it i mean valencia testing really does tell you nothing i mean (laughs) it's that year proved it and and it's hard again to see really what what we've understood from valencia testing this time around apart from how to improve fire regulation slightly yeah um but how did it go for you i mean it, it we're sort of jumping ahead a little bit but looking ahead to to season 10 can you take anything from valencia testing um i think small bits to be honest there's nothing crazy uh i didn't drive all that much because my rookie, or our rookie drove in the morning session before the fire, and then the fire happened. 
Um, so I didn't drive then. And then in the afternoon session, like two days later, my car wouldn't work. So then I didn't drive then. And then I just did one day at the end, uh, really, and circulated. It was all right, to be fair. I think I finished like sixth. Um, but we were a lot more competitive than what we were this time last year. Um, but I find with Valencia, it's, it's, it's such... Everyone knows the track so well, and everyone's driving on such a limit, which you just don't drive at on real circuits, like or street circuits, because you don't have these references like where you're talking like literally inches and you're, you don't have like, you're surrounded by walls. So the risk you take is so much less, even though it feels like you're driving on the absolute limit, you're actually not. Uh, whereas Valencia, you're really trying to eke out the last sort of one hundredth of the car, which is just never the case in Formula E normally, um, because you'd just be crashing all the time. So it's limited learning for sure, but nevertheless, you're in the car, you're, you're circulating and, and getting, more laps on the new software which you've developed through the winter which we definitely have uh so i'd say driving wise learning it's negligible for us um but for the team and the way they operate the car and getting new people up to up to speak you know we've employed new people and i'm sure a lot of other teams have so it's getting them up to speed more than anything i'm nick friedman i'm lee alec murray and i'm leah president and this is crunchyroll presents the anime effect we are a new show breaking down the anime news views and shows you care about each and every week i can't think of a better studio to bring something like this to life yeah i agree we're covering all the classics if i don't know a lot about godzilla which i do but i'm trying to pretend (laughs) that i don't right hold it in and our current faves luffy must have his due (laughs) tune in every week for the latest anime updates and possibly a few debates I remember, what was that? (laughs) Say what you're going to say and I'll circle back. You can listen to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday wherever you get your podcasts. And watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. Going into into this season as well, um, you've done multiple years in Formula E. How do you feel in yourself being going in as as a world champion? Do you, do you feel any different, like even subconsciously at all? With is there any feeling of extra pressure or less pressure, or is yeah. it just business as usual? No, definitely less pressure. To be honest, uh, I feel like I've accomplished it now, and I'm not just going to have me like sit back and relax and do nothing. But I've just always. Yeah, came close in my first year, second year, like I delivered good results for the package we had. Uh, And then obviously last year, we ended up winning the thing, but it's just now a bit more of a relief. Uh, I've won it and um, yeah, I can just sort of, I enjoy Formula anyway, but just enjoy it and even more uh, have like less pressure. I mean, when it comes to qualifying and the racing, the pressure will still be there, the nerves will still be there, but just walking around the paddock and having a bit of, yeah, flair to yourself that, you know, you've done it and um, you don't feel like you need to prove anything to anyone, I would say, especially other teams, uh, yourself, uh, other drivers. You just have that respect uh, among among others, really. You're going to strut into the paddock. <laughs> <laughs> you can just Chest out, shoulders yeah. back. Yeah. I'm here. Yeah. Oh, here's, <laughs> here comes Dennis. Fireworks going off behind him. Scary. Yeah, I'll, I'll yeah. get all that range. Oh, just yeah. seen the music. um so rivals you know who who are you looking at season 10 you're thinking i've got to keep an eye on them they're they're going to be a challenger 
Um, I think, yeah, Jaguar in general. Um, they looked incredibly strong towards the end of last year. You know, their, their performances were definitely better than ours. Uh, and thankfully, obviously, that incident in Rome helped me massively. But if it wasn't for that, like, their pace was definitely quicker than us. Um, so, yeah, I think Jaguar are definitely the, the ones to beat. Um, and I think even DS, uh, Penske and, and Maserati, they, on days they were incredibly fast and, you know, Gunther basically dominated the whole of Jakarta. Uh, so I think when that thing's in the sweet spot, it's very, very quick. Um, and I think, yeah, generally it's everyone will close the gap, but yeah, definitely the, the people we need to beat will be Jaguar. Uh, and yeah, hopefully us and Porsche can work together and yeah, try and, yeah, take it to them, really, but it's going to be difficult for sure. Work together, Pascal. Work together. <laughs> <laughs> what, what about um, on, on the calendar this year? Which circuit do you think gets the best version of Jake Dennis, the best racing driver it is unlocked on which track? Uh, I think Saudi. Um, it's such a driver circuit, and it generally plays into my favour. I've always performed there quite well, and... Um, yeah, qualifying 12th there last year and then finishing second was just such a, an enjoyable race for myself. But yeah, and Rome, for me, everyone, all the drivers love Rome. Uh, so I wouldn't be the only one saying that, that it unlocks extra from you. But it's just a shame that it's gone this year or, or season 10. Um, yeah, it's such a fun circuit to drive. Uh, the way the curbs are laid out, uh, the bumps. Uh, so it's a bit of a shame to see that go. But I think Saudi is definitely my favourite and something which I really enjoy pushing the limits with because uh, it's it's quite high risk but high reward if you get it right um, where some other circuits like even if you go absolute ham and you try and find the extra tenth like you probably gain next to nothing uh, whereas Saudi because it's so fast and so flowing through that middle sector you can really gain like four or five tenths on someone who's only pushing say like 97% like an extra 3% unlocks so much potential um, but I don't know whether this is a, a fair comparison or not, but obviously um, in Formula One, we see sometimes drivers losing like three or four kilos a race and, and you know, particularly in places like Qatar, um, really struggling inside the cockpit. Is, is it similar in Formula E? Do you, get, do you get the same kind of thing happening, particularly in places like Jeddah or, you know, some of the, the yeah. hotter circuits? Um, yeah, generally the biggest thing about Formula E and literally all the drivers are pushing for it um, is like there's no power steering in the cars and... Mechanically, these cars, because of the tyres we run, in slow speed is actually really good. Like You have a lot of grip in slow speed corners. Uh, so physically, to turn the wheel is super difficult. And uh, it also depends on what caster your team run, like the weight of the wheel. But um, it's more your arms, I would say. Your neck is absolutely fine. Like I'd be lying to you if we had like, high G-forces in Formula E. We just don't. So the neck and generally your body is fine. It's just everything from your shoulder, like an arm and wrists uh, really take the beating. Uh, but, yeah, it's there's nothing we can do about it. Um, but there's only cer- certain circuits which are like that, I would say. Uh, like London's probably the worst, in all fairness, even though you don't have the heat, just the, the track layout just allows no rest. Um, so, yeah, London's probably the worst, and Rome, because uh, we raced there in crazy conditions this year. It was like... 70, 70 degree track temp and like 40 degree air temp so it was like a massive heat wave and super unpleasant uh, but yeah it's I, I definitely think Formula 1 have it worse 
um, you know, I'll find out uh, in a, basically a week's time when I'm driving Ref1. Uh, but yeah, um, I'll, I'll soon see how hard it is and see if my neck ends up in a different postcode. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, I know I know there is training for for neck. We've we've seen we've all seen the photos of someone they grasping some massive, thing. Yeah. quite kind yeah. of almost kinky looking thing on the side of your head that's kind yeah, of pulling it. But oh, but. Wow. It, Surely there's nothing like actually getting behind the wheel, right? You've been behind that, that Red Bull a number of times, right? Yeah, there's really not, like, you try and train your neck as much as you possibly can, but honestly, nothing can prepare you for a 180 miles per hour corner and 5Gs going through your neck. Like, no matter how much weight you put on your neck off the side of a bench, it ain't going to do shit. So it's just like, I'll train it, but I know <laughs> after five laps, it's going to end up on that headrest resting. So it's just, it's... It, your, your neck only is prepared if you do like a season in Formula 1 like the guys even at the start of the year like when they go to their pre-season testing and they've driven in Formula 1 for 5-6 years like they ne- they rest their neck and then it's only really towards the end of the season where like they can hold it and then you're expected like me to just jump in and do a full day testing and just be like yeah train your neck and you'll be fine it's like no it, like it's going to be heavily planted on that headrest and um, there's no, you just feel like a passenger that's the worst thing like you feel so hopeless and just like you try and hold your neck as much as you possibly can and then it just like eventually just gives up <laughs> and you just feel like oh, yeah literally hopeless to yourself until we come back onto the straight and then you can have like a 10 second rest very exciting though um, to you know have the opportunity to drive that, that Formula 1 car really really cool um, and it'll be I guess it'll still be pretty hot um, out there so yeah we'll be challenging for you but it, just to, going back to Formula E how do you view the health of the championship generally I mean we've we've seen teams come and go manufacturers come and go it feels like it's in quite a good place at the moment and obviously electric racing is booming and across the board yeah. with E1 and now Formula G coming in with Dillbag Gill it, yeah. from inside the sport what, how does it feel? No I, I generally feel like Formula E is in a good place right now I think those drivers are trying to push for certain improvements uh but nevertheless i think globally it's it's growing more and more we're trying to get it on better tv channels we're trying to promote it to the public better so i think that's something which we can improve on i would say uh but nevertheless like the racing is incredible uh there's there's no doubting that uh the the level of drivers and the teams the professionalism is very high um i just feel like now we need to push it into the bigger audience and you know, try and land like a Netflix documentary on it. Like all those drivers are generally, generally quite good fun, quite lighthearted. We have a bit of banter between us and I think it would like thrive off that. Um, obviously it's not big enough to do that yet, but that's something what it needs for it to just like push through. Um, you know, there's been so many documentaries which is, Netflix have sort of taken and, and made grow so much now, you know, like golf uh, with the full swing, um, like that created my interest in golf. So it's just like, so many documentaries uh, which are doing it now. You know, the one came out with that Tour de France with cycling. That was interesting. Um, but nevertheless, I think it's in a good spot. I just think it needs the next bit now for it to, to push forward and grow again. I really like the, um, I guess it's the equivalent to like the cool down room when you guys are watching the replays. Like <laughs> that is, that's, that's exactly what fans want to see. 
because it's like the yeah. human discussion between it's like after a, I don't know I racing lobby and you're like chatting well, <laughs> somebody took you out it's like well, you've you got someone hinged it's yeah. great I love it man it's brilliant that, that's what that's what we want to see that would be that's prime I, I think if yeah. anything a, a drive to survive esque Formula E documentary yeah. I think you you guys would give more than the F1 drivers because I think they are yeah. more media trained and, and pigeonholed exactly which, yeah. you know I, I haven't I haven't actually been in that driver's room since, uh, where was, season eight, the last race of the year. Like, I didn't go in it last year. I either finished the podium or DNF'd in the wall. So I, I, haven't, <laughs> been <in it. laughs> I haven't been in it since, like, a year and a half. And it, like, I've forgotten what it's like. But I remember it being great because the drivers would just rip into each other and like, give each other some stick. But... Yeah, I either finished on the podium or crashed last year. So um, yeah, <laughs> all, on, all or nothing. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I think that would. I think that'd be good fun. And there's some big characters in the sport, aren't there? I mean, you know, there's people like yourself. You wear your heart on your sleeve. Um, yeah. You know, others like Dan Tictum and Pascal. You know, there, there are characters there that could really cause some controversy. Oh, it would. It would be a good watch. Um, Andretti is a team. What, what's the vibe like in the team? How would you describe the the culture there? And 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 are you looking forward to working alongside Norman? Yeah, Norman's a good guy. He's a good, he's a yeah, he's a good lad to be fair. So him coming in, he's a happy-go-lucky guy, and um, he's very French, but doesn't uh, bring like that French sort of behaviour in. Like he also has like a really good laugh. So he just probably brings the French accent more than anything, which is just funny. Uh, but the team are all English in terms of like there's there's only like a couple of Americans. So all the guys are based in Banbury, uh, and a lot of the team are from the team I used to race for in Arden in 2016, which I was speaking about earlier, a lot of the mechanics and engineers uh, are from there. And my engineer, I bought him over from Aston Martin in my GT side. So yeah, we're all this like one big sort of bubble and uh, family to be fair, have massive banter. Like we're definitely the team which probably has the most fun, I would say. Uh, and that's super important for me. I, I don't want a team which is just so strict and, very like yeah like I said by the book uh, it's important to have that banter and flow between the mechanics engineers the truckies um, yeah uh, the coordinators the team manager so um, it's something which I really try and push on and try and get everyone out of their shells or shells as much as possible because I just think it brings the best out of everyone are you uh, are you often up Banbury because it's what hour and a half two hours from London isn't it yeah so it's about so normally not, like last year I didn't go once uh, because all our simulator work was based in Stuttgart, which is um, yeah, quite a boring place. And, uh, <laughs> and then, uh, whereas now we've got our own simulator, so it's uh, based up in Banbury and we're just trying to develop it as quickly as possible right now, uh, ready for the season. So um, I'm there a lot more. Um, so I'm trying to get in there once a week right now and just trying to develop the sim as much as possible because they need to go away and then improve on the ideas which I've said and then go back next week and, and improve it. Norman's in actually today and tomorrow, um, yeah, fine-tuning the, the time model. So, <clears throat> yeah, it's a constant progress uh, with that and it will just keep evolving throughout the season as well. But very much looking forward to driving up to Banbury instead of catching a flight, you know, and going to Stuttgart. So it's much easier two more nights at home which is which is good compared to you know leaving Sunday for the for the race week two day sim and then flying directly to the race now I can <clears throat> sort of see my race weekend starting Wednesday which is nice yeah yeah absolutely now um 
We're going to move on to our final three questions now. So we ask these same questions to everybody on the show. So these have been through like 180 odd episodes. Although the second question, this will only be the second time we've asked it. It's a brand new question, okay. um, but these always throw up different answers. Um, I'll kick off first. So um, now this could be anything. It doesn't need to be motorsport related. It could be um, something completely random. But what's got you excited at this very moment? Oh, easy. Golf. Oh, mate. I am hooked. Did I am you watch the Netflix Cup last night, by the way? <laughs> I have watched it, but that just got me into it a little bit. And then I went to the Top Golf with my friends, and I was like, this is good fun. I was so bad, but I was like, this is a good laugh. And then I sort of just got hooked, started getting lessons, and um, yeah, now I'm just smashing it like five times a week. Uh, oh, wow. First, yeah, nine holes Saturday uh, with one of my mates. And uh, yeah, just looking forward to it. The reason behind why it all started is through the winter, I bought a place out in Marbella, which is surrounded by golf courses. And I was like, I need to exploit this situation I'm in in terms of, you know, Marbella's known for golfing. I was like, I can't rock up there and just shank it massively. So I was like, I need to learn. So the next sort of four or five months, I'm going to try and learn as much as possible. And um, yeah, so now I've got putting mats everywhere i've got chipping nets in my house the missus is not happy about it yeah. <laughs> i was about to say, I bet that went down well <laughs> yeah yeah she's like what is this and i was like well it's it's a it's a green mat like, of course it is uh, have you got yourself yeah, a handicap I'll, yet no because i've never even been on a course right so, i mean yeah i'm gonna yeah find out how good i am obviously this saturday against my mate um i mean he's no good but we can, we'll be able to get by. It's just the drivers, man. The drivers for me, like, they either eat some miles or they go left, right. And uh, it's so frustrating. I actually, so my, my driver was bought for me by Max Chilton when I used to manage him. Right? I, did, I did him a wicked sponsorship deal. There was I thinking I was going to get a nice payday. He bought me a bloody golf club. But anyway, <laughs> he, he bought me this golf club and it straightens your, your swing. So it, it removes the, um, the slice and the hook. I mean, not really? completely, but it really straightens you up. Um, I'll, se- I'll, I'll send you the, um, a picture of it, but it's, it's quite old now, but it's a bloody good club. And immediately <laughs> I knocked 10 shots off my game just, just by hitting this with this driver. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's a freaky I, I thing. I doubt that's um, PGA approved, Tim. No, but it, it's um, the, it's the equipment. The which fires itself where yeah, you yeah, yeah. swing. You've got one of them, haven't you? That's what it is <laughs> for every single shot. <laughs> yeah suddenly i'm going around in 70 Um, i I was i was literally at the range yesterday i don't hit anything longer than a five iron because i just can't with any consistency i'd rather just play a little bit shorter and actually not shag it into the trees every time yeah it's for me it's it's driver seven iron pitching wedge putt every hole So unique. <laughs> it's it's a, my bag is very lean. Um, <laughs> very good golf. We've never had that before. That's a good one, right, Tom? Cool. Over to you. For, this is our, our new question, Ooh, Tom. Okay, Don't you've given me the excited. new exciting yeah. question, Tim. All right, Jake. What's one lesson your job has taught you that you think everyone should learn at some point in their life? Um, I would say, um, and I got taught it by someone actually, to be fair, but it was my teammate in 2015, Felix Rosenquist. He was so like happy go lucky and just didn't like force his job at all and was very much enjoying the moment he was in uh, and just, yeah, in, yeah, enjoying the life we live because it is a pretty cool life. You know, we 
we obviously race cars for a living and I was very much by that book guy, like just doing like data after data after data, numbers after numbers, and I was just drilling myself into the ground. Whereas now I'm like sort of the complete opposite. I very much just drive off instinct and try and enjoy what you're doing and then you generally perform so much better however it's yeah no matter what it is really and uh so i think if you're not enjoying it get out of it um and then yeah just try and yeah be in the moment as much as possible so yeah enjoy enjoy what you do i would say yeah yeah very good what do we think of that question tom you like that one I like it. I like it. I like good good answers. Right? Everyone deserves yeah. to be happy in their career, whatever it is in life. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, final one for you. What are you scared of? Oh, snakes. Oh. Absolutely. Spies, snakes. Uh, spiders are pretty close behind, but for me, snakes are the absolute worst in terms of yeah, being near them. Uh, when I was in Australia, uh, doing a race out in Bathurst, Oh, my friends or my, my teammates had some moments with me there like when we were out in the in the woods and stuff like in the blue mountains like it was oh, they're just there's nothing good about them there's nothing Thanks. good no <laughs> redeeming features yeah, yeah. and uh, yeah so snakes absolute despise them hate them can't stand them but I was that kid when I was younger when you used to go to like on a Cornwall and stuff and they used to wrap around snakes around you we used to go to Nuki and stuff I was always that guy and then I just got older I was like why on earth would I ever do that now like <laughs> yeah <laughs> so yeah snakes Snakes are not fun. I, I, I don't no. want to scare you too. I literally saw a clip yesterday. I think it was from a course in Australia. There's a golf course and there's this like python, like, you know, standing up when like the front of it yeah. and it's like going yeah. like that towards the golfers oh. and they're like running. Well, they're not running away. The camera, the camera up because the camera up never gets hurt. Do they? <laughs> that's, that's the rule. <laughs> at least you yeah. got, a, yeah, you could take a swing at it. You could, you got a weapon. True. You would have a weapon. Yeah. That is true. Mm. You are weaponized oh, on the golf course. I'd miss, well. miss yeah. the snake. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> He's got through. Um, Jake, thank you so, so much for joining us. It's been lots of fun chatting to you. I think, um, you know, everyone was really pleased to see you do so well last year. Um, and um, it was a really exciting finish to the end of the season. Um, season 10 fast approaching in January all the best for it um, hopefully we'll see you at one of the races but um, it's been a pleasure thank you so much for joining us on the show speak soon thank you so much thank you thank you so much for listening to the Motormouth podcast do make sure you give us a follow on our socials Twitter at Motormouth underscore Instagram at Motormouth underscore official and Facebook just search Motormouth you can also download the Motormouth app where you can get exclusive video content from MMTV create your own social profile to interact with other fans and check up on all the latest happenings with whatever motorsport takes your fancy we're also proud to be supporting the Brain Tumor charity too so make sure you check the links in the podcast description to find out how you can help cure brain tumors quicker. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and review. And until next time, you've been listening to the Motormouth Podcast.
Do you love anime, gaming, movies, and discovering how your favorite pop culture affects everything you do? Then join us on Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. Every week you can listen in while we break down the latest pop culture news and dish on what new releases we can't get enough of. Whether you love movies, I'm going to tell you all about the uh, hopeful 4K re-release of Tron Legacy that happens. (laughs) (laughs) I'm right there with you. Or music. The music in this show is absolutely incredible. Or anime. And under this mask is another mask. (laughs) (laughs) You can discover your new favorites right here on The Anime Effect. Listen every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts, and watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or on the Crunchyroll YouTube channel.